0: So this is uh, the second talk in our series, The Body of Christ, and today's topic is going to be seeing the distinction between what Steve spoke about last week, which was the church, the body of Christ, as it's outlined for us in God's word in the New Testament, how that is distinctive from uh, the mention of local churches that are referenced in the New Testament. So there's a difference, there are a number of differences between the universal church, the body of Christ and local churches that are found in various geographical areas. We'll see that in a moment. First, let's take a reading please from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we're going to read the first 12 verses. This letter was written primarily by The Apostle Paul, the early missionary, who preached the gospel but also was involved in the establishing or the planting of local churches in geographical areas. So he was the prime writer but he was supported in it by our brother Sosthenes as we'll see in our reading. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1, this is his letter to one of those churches uh, in Corinth. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him... You have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? That's the start of verse 13. Last week, Steve uh, took us to the Lord's words in Matthew chapter 16. When Peter had declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Lord responded and said, Now, your earthly faculties, your physical faculties and capacities didn't reveal that to you. That was something my Father in heaven has revealed to you. And verse 18, the Lord says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The word for church there is that word that we've been considering in our previous series, ecclesia. It's that Greek word, ecclesia. It's an assembly or a congregation of people that are called out of something and called to be together for something. So last week Steve was reminding us that Christ's church is his gathering of those who are his. Actually those who are given to him by his father for whom he dies. They are brought into his congregation. It's a church that he is building. His work has brought them together. And we thought last week that the gates of Hades, death, cannot touch Your membership in that church that is Christ's church that He is building. It's secure. The Lord said it, the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. When we come to Paul, and we've read some of his writings here in 1 Corinthians, when we come to Paul, for him, he uses the metaphor of the body, and he's thinking about a human body. Uh, He's using that metaphor to describe. This church that the Lord Jesus had referred to. You'll notice the Lord didn't refer to it in that way, but it's Paul. And Paul, in having written it and it's contained in our scriptures, then it is from God. And so it is a description that is very helpful for us to understand. Ephesians 1, just very quickly, Steve mentioned that that text there, Paul writes there, God placed all things under his feet, that's Christ's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church so he is the authority over this congregation that he himself is building by his work as its saviour which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way why did Paul employ this metaphor of the body do we think I think we go to Acts chapter 9 and we don't have time to go there ourselves now but you can look at it later it's the Wonderful conversion experience of Paul. He was known as Saul at that time, and as he was traveling as a persecutor of the early churches of God, gatherings of disciples, Jesus' followers, in various locations, as he was going after those churches, and he was traveling to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him on the road, and he came off his horse. And he was in the ground and he was blinded by the glory of the Lord Jesus who appeared to him in resurrection glory. And the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In that moment, Saul, Paul came to realise that his actions in persecuting to the point of murder... People who identified as Jesus' followers in churches in various locations, and he was going after them when he persecuted them, he was persecuting the Lord Jesus himself. I believe that's why he then uses the metaphor of the body because it's Jesus' identification with them. It's as if, though Steve was saying that last week, he's not part of the body. Some of the language of the church, the body, does give the impression that maybe Paul is thinking that way. He's the authority over it. But when Christ says you're persecuting me, he learned that persecuting the followers of Jesus was persecuting Christ himself. So close, is my point, is the union between Christ and those who are his. That if somebody persecutes someone who is in union with Christ, by the work of Christ and through faith, And has come into his church that Christ himself feels that persecution. You go further in Acts chapter 9. And Ananias was a faithful disciple. And he was told by the Lord Jesus to go and to see Paul after he's had this conversion experience. And Ananias' reaction in verse 14 is. Lord, he, Saul, has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So on to that last little phrase, all who call on your name. And then later, after Saul, Paul has his vision regained, the end of the chapter, it tells us that he starts to go and to preach the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, Saviour, to the synagogues. And in verse 21, the people who heard about this said, is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name? I want us just to see a little link between those phrases that are there in Acts 9, which I think was the, the beginnings of Paul's understanding of the church, which is Christ's, describing it as a body. That there in that chapter is also this phrase, those who called in his name. And if you look at your open Bible, if you still have it open, and verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the Church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was writing to people who were identified and knowably identified in a location who together were engaged in service for God that would be described as calling on his name. Do a little study for yourselves on that phrase through the scriptures from Old Testament into the New Testament, those who call on his name. It's an act of service for those who have been brought into relationship with God. In Matthew 16, we've thought about how the Lord spoke about his church that he was building. You turn over a couple of chapters and you come to Matthew 18 and the Lord refers again to an ecclesia. But it's not the same one. It's a different one. In Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, just let me read this to you. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, the ecclesia. And if they refuse to listen even to the ecclesia, the church, treat them As you would a pagan or a tax collector. Spoken to a Jewish audience. Who would exclude pagans and tax collectors who uh, colluded with the Romans. They wouldn't have them as part of their synagogue. Here the Lord is saying. when When you have an issue and somebody sins. And it creates a division in your church. He uses this term ecclesia. And he's not referring to synagogue. Because he would have used the word for synagogue. He's using the word ecclesia, it's a gathering, but it's a localised gathering that's in mind here. The Lord's not speaking of the same church in Matthew 18 as he was in Matthew 16 is the point. So Matthew 18, I think, is the start of this understanding that those who have been brought into Christ's church would naturally then (coughs) congregate. They wouldn't remain as individuals, connected By faith in Christ to all other believers. But they would come together to give expression to that in local areas. In congregations known as churches. And there's the possibility in what the Lord said that someone could be excluded from that. So therefore it can't be the same as the church that he referred to in Matthew 16. Because not even death can exclude you from that. We're taking our time going through this here, but this is important to see that there are distinctions. (coughs) People by faith are brought into the church, the body of Christ, because he is saviour of that church. But then there is the expectation that those ones will gather together, along with others, to call on the name of the Lord. And they would be identifiable as such in various places. But while those that are in the church, the body, would... (coughs) should be everybody that's in that local church. It doesn't mean that everybody, of course, is in that local church that is in the church of the body. If that made any sense to you, then that's good because that sentence didn't make sense to me. What am I getting at? When Paul and Peter as well are referring to those local churches in their letters, they don't use the body metaphor to describe it. It's very interesting to see it. They use a building or a structural metaphor to describe those local churches that in an aggregate are considered to be the temple of God or the house of God. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through to 5, living stones coming to the living stone are built up a spiritual house. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through to 22, individual churches of God that are comprised of those living stones are then joined together to form a holy temple in which God dwells in the Spirit. That There's a distinction there. Paul uses the organic organism metaphor for describing all those who are in Christ. And then he shifts along with Peter and uses structural building metaphors to describe what is seen on the ground, if I can put it that way, in um, locations. If you turn over in your Bible, and don't do it, please, but uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul speaks about those that are engaged in the work of building the church of God. And will their work stand, the judgment of God or Christ when it comes, the assessment of Christ, or will it not? He's encouraging them to put all their efforts into building up that which is, in a local setting, precious to God. So to recap, Christ's universal church, described by Paul using uh An organism, the body, metaphor, describes all those who are in Christ. You know, the term in Christ, um, I was helped by this a while ago, somebody saying that it's not like uh, your keys are in your pocket. That's not the way in which we view being in Christ. It's not that you're inside something. It's rather that as my arm is part of my body. That's because it's in me. That's the sense in which we're to think of being in Christ, part of this church that he is building. Our union with him is an organic thing. But then we come to the local churches that are described in the New Testament, Paul and Peter, they use structural metaphors to describe them. And also, and this is just a little thing to, it's not a little thing, but it's a big thing, but it's a little thing just to throw in here, is that usually Paul will use the term in the Lord. To describe those people that are gathered together. That's a whole other study. Um, but it, there, there are these distinctions. And you can follow it all through. Uh, in terms of the, the language that is used. And God is not the author of confusion. He's given us this to, to help us to see. That the two <coughs> entities that are being described are different. One should be comprised of those who are in the other. But we're going to see some... Uh, distinctions in a moment that show us that they're not the same and therefore we shouldn't assume that because we have become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ then we automatically are in a church of God as they are called in the New Testament. Because participation in local churches requires obedience on the part of the individual. To be a member of Christ's church which Paul describes as his body, requires no work on the part of the individual. It's all God's work. God is sovereign over salvation. He is the one who works in salvation and even the faith, as Steve said last week, that we might exercise as a gift from God for us to have a place in the church which Christ is building, which is his body. It's all God's work. But when it comes to being part of a local church with a congregation such as we are here it requires obedience on our part so we don't earn our salvation by our works but that salvation is to manifest itself in the things that we do and the part of that is through our obedience to the lord's commands which will find us then gathering with other disciples in a local church it is about obedience. Paul when he's writing his letter to the church of God in Rome. <coughs> makes a reference of. People coming to the obedience of the faith. He sees that as being important. That it's not just about salvation. Uh, from sin. And forgiveness. But it's about being obedient to all that Christ has died for. And that was his. Um, reason for writing. Primarily. To the church of God in Rome. That there would be the obedience of faith seen in them together as a local congregation. Jude when he's writing his letter in verse 3 he says dear friends although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share or a common salvation which is what everybody has when they're in the church which is Christ's church which Paul describes as the body although I was eager to write to you about the common salvation we share I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith That was once for all entrusted to God's people. The faith is a phrase in the New Testament that describes the teaching that the apostles gave which they'd received from the Lord Jesus which was how, which was to shape the lives of those who had been saved by God. And that teaching would determine how they lived individually but also would determine how they lived in service with one another in a church. Again, another little study for you is follow through the faith with the definite article in there. It describes this teaching. But notice something important. It's once for all delivered to the saints. It's not something that is added to. Jude was convinced that what the Lord had given the apostles and the apostles passed on, it was a done deal. It was a completed thing and it was given. So we don't add to it and we don't take away from it. But also notice in that, he says, I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith. Now we don't contend for salvation. But we contend to maintain our obedience that we might honour Christ. In our association with other believers. In local churches that are described in various ways in the New Testament. But we take the name churches of God today for ourselves. I just want to say something quickly about these local churches their constitution their character their composition and their context i know this is going over um, well-trodden ground for some of you but not everybody the name churches of god or church of god that you see in the new testament that really would point to their constitution 1 corinthians 11:16, 1 corinthians 1 2 here 2 Thessalonians 1 and 4. There's there's many references to the church of God or the churches of God. They belong to God. God's the one who has authority over them. So therefore the constitution is set by God. Just like he has set the constitution for all of creation. He repeats his constitution with regards to gathered disciples. In local places for him. The name churches of Christ which appears a couple of times in the New Testament, would seem to point to their character. So this is different, remember, from Christ's church, which he's building. These are local churches, churches of Christ. And Because all of those ones in that church should be born again believers, then it would be natural that as the Spirit is working out Christ in each life, then those churches together would have the character of Christ through their, those that are numbered in the church. What about the composition? You come across uh, descriptions like this. The churches of the Gentiles, the church of the Laodiceans, the church of the Thessalonians, the church of the... That's speaking about the people who would comprise them. So it's identifiable in a certain location, the church of the Thessalonians. So that would speak of their composition, the people that formed that local church. But also we have this other language that describes these. The churches of Galatia or the church that meets in their house, that would speak of its context, wouldn't it? That's the place where things happen and it's identifiable as a place. So you've got its constitution, you've got its character, you've got its composition and you've got its context. It's all building on something different from what Christ was speaking about in Matthew 16, isn't it? Just to see the distinction there. Can I Can I point out some distinctions for you? And then you're going to think at the end of it, so what's the point? Um, We'll get there quickly. Just to lay these out. The church, the body of Christ, Christ's church, his ecclesia, secured by his sacrifice, over which he is saviour, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.23. There is one body. But there are many churches of God. The church that is Christ's body is made up of all believers whether we know them or not. Many are in heaven already in the presence of the Lord now, those of us that are alive um, are part of that and we're all one in Christ Jesus. Local churches are gathered disciples in various places and that's a distinction. We've already thought about how for the church the body of Christ it's belief, trust, trust Faith in Christ as Saviour that secures our place in that it's God that does that for us. But it's obedience to the Lord that secures our place in a local church of God. So it's faith alone stress the point again it's faith alone that brings us into the church, which is Christ's body. But it's continuance in God's word that maintains our place in a local church of God. Paul spoke about believers being baptised in the spirit. Steve mentioned it last week. That's how we come into Christ's ecclesia, his body. But when it comes to churches of God, it's not enough. We see from the pattern of the New Testament that water baptism was required prior to someone being added to a local church of God. We thought about how nothing can Take someone away from Christ and his church, his congregation. But yet we read in the New Testament, and the Lord hinted at it as well in Matthew 18, that there are times when people can be excluded, excommunicated, put away from a church because of sin. Or even because people make an error and might put somebody away for reasons that they shouldn't have done. You read about that in 3 John Uh, 3 John 10, by the way. A believer in the Lord Jesus, their salvation is secure. They can't wander away from it. But people can drift away from the faith and from the churches of God. Matthew 16, again, Christ is the one who builds his church. It's God's work. But when it comes to the churches of God, people together engaged in building and establishing, planting, and building up it's work that's delegated to us in the church the body of Christ as Steve said last week there's no distinction between male and female all are one in Christ but yet when we come to the teaching of the New Testament churches of God there are distinctions between male and female and their roles and responsibilities and so on this is a lovely one Ephesians 5 and 29 Paul speaks about the church which is Christ's body is nourished by Christ. And it was in the context of his um, teaching about marriage. Christ nourishes his church. But when it comes to the local churches, it's the responsibility of overseers and others who have responsibility to teach and so on and to care. The responsibility has been delegated. Somebody who comes into Christ's church is indwelt by the Spirit not just baptised in the Spirit but indwelt by the Spirit churches of God together are a form a dwelling place for God by his Spirit it's distinctive from the church which is Christ's body I've not given you the whole list that's enough to try and make the point that we're not talking about the same thing and we're driving this point so hard on this because for many in the world today it doesn't matter what church you're part of because the view is that, well, it's, it's the body of Christ. You, can, you, you choose then on the basis, maybe of preference, or on the basis of an understanding of Scripture that you have, that you might, you might choose on, on the basis of suitability. Um, a local church of God is to be an expression, of course, of the body of Christ, and that's next week's talk. But when we're looking at the scriptures and you're reading about local churches, yes, the people in that church, we would like to say that everybody in that church is in the church which is Christ's body, but there's no guarantee of that because people can hoodwink and say that they are when they're not. We're not talking about the same thing is the point here. I just want to finish very quickly with what the the reason we read 1 Corinthians was to... Look at verse 9 and just very quickly on this. God is faithful who called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just give me a couple of minutes on this please. The Greek in this, the fellowship is in the genitive which means that it is possessed by something in the sentence. Now the English Standard Version actually goes with that. Even though that for a lot of Christians it might not make an awful lot of sense. So it really would say the fellowship of his son, belonging to his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the NIV that we're reading from says called you into fellowship with his son. They're they're viewing the translators, uh, and we're so thankful for them, but they're viewing this as, as union with Christ. And local churches then are expressions of our union with Christ. But what Paul was really getting at... And this was that there is a fellowship that belongs to the Son, to God's Son, that is very precious to him. And it's a fellowship of those who are giving themselves to the obedience of the faith that they might come together with others to call on the name of the Lord with others in various other places. And those other places all together form a fellowship which belongs to Christ. I mean, that's a precious thing to see, isn't it? We're saints by calling, as Paul says in verse two, but more than that, he then says in verse nine, God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship of his son. There's a calling into the fellowship of God's Son. And being careful with the language of Scripture, we would see that the churches of God would give answer to this fellowship. A network of churches united under uh, the leadership of elders who meet to determine that the scriptures are applied in the same way in all of the churches. To honour the Lord's desire that those who are in his body would also then be found in a local church giving expression to the joy of being joined with Christ but also then joined with others. And that joining together with others as we do it in churches is the fellowship of his Son. It's coming into something that belongs to him, that is so precious to him. No wonder the Lord prayed, John 17, three times in his prayer, the night before he was crucified. He prayed that they may be one. Not just his disciples that were with him, but those, he said, who will believe in their, what they teach. He knew that there would be divisions come. There can be no divisions in the church, the body of Christ, but there can be in the expressions of local churches. And he prayed that they would be one. Because there is a fellowship, a fellowship of churches comprised of believers who are committed in obedience to the things that God has said in his word that give expression to the glory of God. So it's not a casual thing is the point we're making today. It's not enough to say that churches all around are an expression of the body. Yes, they are. But God has given us a pattern and a plan in the scriptures. And there's this required obedience to the faith as we would understand it. As it's given to us once for all entrusted to the saints and handed on down through the scriptures. And we put it into practice today. And we're together in that thing that is so precious to God. As described as the fellowship of his son. My concluding paragraph. The invitation or the call of God is to commit to being part of the fellowship of his son where together we grow and mature as disciples as we engage in life and service together by keeping the commands of the Lord Jesus and enjoying the body expressed in the local setting, along with those from every tribe, language, people and nation, in harmony serving together as a testimony to God's grace and so that we might declare God's power and glory to a watching world. We're going to think about what that looks like in a local setting, in more detail in future talks. Let's pray to God and give him thanks.